Hey, how you doing? I'm Steve Folland. Welcome to another one. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the Being Freelance community. That's where you get to hang out with others who get what it's like, be inspired, supported, cheered up and feel part of something with virtual co-working, extra bonus podcasts, socials, both online and in real life and plenty more besides. You're not alone being freelance not anymore come join us at beingfreelance.com just click community and i'll see you in there right now let's find out what it's like being freelance for virtual and social media assistant erin buck all of a sudden i had a trauma that made me think well this is not what i want to do with my life i've got to think of what i'm good at how i can make what i'm good at work for me and I have to be proactive, I have to drive. It's not going to just come to me. It doesn't matter what your age is. It doesn't matter what your ability is. You can find something in you that you can use to push yourself forward. I was working for Peanuts. I thought, oh, well, this is not sustainable. I'm shattered. So I'm going to start upping my prices, that, you know, and then the people that don't want to pay them will, will go. Nobody left. So then I upped them again, nobody left. So I upped them again. Uh, and nobody left. I mean, it sounds so cliche now. I never tried to be anybody else. So I told people, I'm 47, I'm disabled, I needed a job, I created one. That's me. And I've learned everything along the way and it has worked. Erin is actually part of the Being Freelance community. That's where I got to know her, actually in the co-working sessions. But we met just before Christmas at the Freelance Magazine Christmas party um and she mentions these things in the episode and it's really nice hearing her take on it so her story is on the way how's your year going so far we're into february i've been spending a bit more time on linkedin uh towards the end of last year and this year if you are as well come find me uh such as steve folland you can i don't know click follow click connect whatever it is <laughs> steve you've been spending so much time there you know all the lingo you're like an absolute local yeah come find me on there also on uh, instagram at being freelance always nice to meet you on there as well and of course in the community like i mentioned always hanging out in there every day so come find me online come be part of what we're doing we're being freelance being freelance.com should we crack on chat to this week's guest we're off to cheshire to talk to freelance virtual and social media assistant Erin Buck. Hey, Erin. Hello. As ever, how about we get started hearing how you got started being freelance? So I didn't even know what freelance or business was really because I am 47. And when I was at school, business wasn't a big thing. So I'd never gone down that route. But then I hit 40. And at the time I was working in a school. So I, I, got, I went into education and um, felt a twinge. And that happened in the April. And I thought, oh, that doesn't feel good. Went back to work. By the June, I was taking strong cocodamol to survive being at work and then told my boss, I literally, I'm in so much pain. I'm going to, I've got to stop. A twinge in what? In my back. <sighs> it's not something I want to admit. It was going to go, according to the doctor, it would have gone any time. I could have bent over for a box of shreddies and it was going to go. But what actually happened was I'd got very drunk and um, I needed to throw up and I... <laughs> And I went to the toilet and as I threw up, I twisted my back and I felt it <gasps> pop as it happened. Um, and then I went back to bed and thought, oh, that that hurts. But the next morning it had gone away, so I hadn't thought about it. That would have been middle of April. Middle of May, beginning of June, I signed off work because I couldn't stand because of the pain. By end of July, I was in a wheelchair, couldn't walk. What? And by August, I had my first back operation. I'd ruptured um, the disc in my lower back. What it was doing, it was impinging a nerve that was then sort of dying and sending nerve pain down my leg, which is literally just like being electrocuted. So you've got a permanent electrocution feel. By August, I was on naproxen, 80 milligrams of morphine every four hours. I have no memory. The night before my operation, I've got a picture. My sister-in-law came with my nephews. I'm lying on the bed and we're watching uh, The Great British Bake Off. And they're <laughs> all in bed with me. No memory of it. Absolutely no memory. The biggest thing I hear is that I, my 16-year-old son at the time had to go pick his GCSE results up on his own and go through his exams while I was in bed not knowing 
who I was, where I was. Just oh. terrible. The minute I had my operation, it was like, oh my God, thank God, the pain is gone. Everything's brilliant. Did six months of recovery. You got to do exercises and all those kind of things. And then I went back to work. When I went back to work, I didn't love it anymore. And I do believe, for me anyway, you ha- you don't have a drive for something you don't love. And um, I'm not one for staying in something that is making me unhappy if I can get away with it. So I said to my husband, can I give up my job? And he said, yeah, so as long as you've got another plan. I was like, oh, right, okay. Well, I like, <laughs> I like dogs. So I started a dog walking and dog boarding business and I planned to do it at weekends, but it took off so quickly that I said, right, this is my route out of education. And so I went to my boss and said, I'm handing my notes in. But I worked in year six. And so I didn't want to leave my year sixes before they're sats. So I said, I'll see it to the end of the year, till July. And then I'm going full time with my dog walking business. Three days before the end of school term, I was going to walk my dogs and I bent over to fasten my shoelace and I cannot describe the pain. It's like somebody had stabbed me in my lower back and then just gone right up my spine. And I start having corda equina. Now, I don't know if many people don't know. You don't know about these medical things till you go through it. Corda equina is where you're having permanent damage happening. Uh, you are losing function in, not that I did at the time, I was getting that way, uh, in your bladder and your bowel, and it can paralyze you. So um, they have to act quick. Because if they don't act quick, then that's going to happen. So I was blue lighted to Salford uh, near Manchester, where the uh, neurology department is. And I had another emergency surgery to save everything. And it was the same disc and the same thing had happened. Don't know why they said it wouldn't, shouldn't do. So that was my second microdisectomy. Recovered from that, kept on with this dog, freelance dog, if you can call it freelance, freelance dog business. I got healthy. I worked on my back. Everything was great. And then 2019, I thought, what's that pain? Oh, no, it's the same thing. I started to go downhill. I recognized all the signs, another MRI, and it happened again. And the consultant said, well, you'll be a first for me because it's unheard of to have a third microdisectomy. And I've never done one. So you're my first doing a third one. It's like, marvelous. (laughs) Glad you, you know, can help. (laughs) And I ended up having my third operation in January 2020. Everything was going great. I thought, right, I'd left. I started my dog business. Um, Six weeks later, you go for a checkup and everything was going hunky-dory. Two days after my six-week checkup, I went for a walk with the dog. I came back and I said to my husband, I can't feel my foot. I said, there's something wrong with my foot on my bad leg. And he was like... Oh, it'll be fine. I said, I'm going to A&E. Oh, you don't want to go to A&E. You'll be there forever. I'm going to A&E. And I ended up being in hospital for a week. And then they said, right, we don't know why it's happened. We think it's the scar tissue in your back. And all of your operations have just permanently damaged the nerve. And so now that gave me foot drop. So I wear a leg brace because it just flops. So when you're walking, you sort of learn to throw it a bit to get it up off the floor. So when it first happened, I kept falling over everywhere. My kids loved it. I have face planted so many times in my front room (laughs) and they just come running in and I'm just lying there going, yeah, it's happened again. So I wear this leg brace and I drive an adapted car because my leg can cramp. And when you say leg cramp, my foot goes like at a right angle. It looks so weird and I can't get it out. My husband has to uh, push it back to sort of stretch it out. So that is the long story of round. I became a freelancer because I got out of hospital in the March and the doctor had told me, you have to give up dog. You can't walk six dogs. You can't look after six dogs. So I had to shut my business. And I thought, I'm 44. I'm not ready to watch Jeremy Kyle and This Morning, no matter how good Alison Hammond is, just saying. <laughs> I'm not going to sit and watch TV. That would make me, that'll make me depressed. It'll just, this is not what I want to do. So I sat and I thought about, okay, what am I good at? Well, I'm pretty good at computers. My whole life has been computers. I'm married to a computer programmer and I'm of the age where the BBC computer was introduced. So I've grown up as computers have. So I thought that, and I really like being organized. So I put into Google, what job can I do? that involves being organised and uses digital stuff. 
and it came up with virtual assistant. And I thought, okay, what's a virtual assistant? So I looked into it and I thought, oh, I'd love doing that. Oh God, I'd love to. I've never had more than 20 emails in my inbox and it freaks me out when people show me messages. And I have seen it in the Being Freelance community. There is a picture somewhere where somebody had put a picture of like 6,000 emails in there. It's like, that's wrong. It's sick. It's sick. You can sort that out. So I um, I drew a picture of, I thought, okay, what am I going to call myself? Uh, I live in Manchester. Cheshire, for some reason, is really big on bees and honey. And I went to uni in Manchester so I'm going to use a B, but I'm going to be quick about it. Instead of having busy B, I'm going to have a busy B. So it sounds like a B, so, which would, I obviously I didn't think that people would never know how to spell this or <laughs> search for it properly on Google. So they never get it. But unfortunately, busy B was already taken. So it had to be busy B, Bolly, which is I live in a village called Bollington. So that was my progression. And... I've always used social media since, you know, Friends Reunited, I was on it. Facebook came out, I was on it. I've always been into to that kind of stuff. So I started talking about myself on social media and I, um, I'm, I've never used paid advertising and it is just purely by me writing my content and getting out there. I'd never been to networking. I didn't even know what networking was. And then I joined some membership groups on Facebook. I got my first client within a month. And then next thing I know, another one came along that had spoken to them. And then my third client was a friend of the second client. And it just built like that. Three of my clients have been with me now for three and a half years. They've never, they've never left me, bless them. And it's just built and built and built from that, really. I just I didn't realize I'd be good at sort of you know, marketing maybe, I don't know. What, as in marketing yourself? Mm. I didn't know that there was, these had names, these strategies that I was doing. I just, it just made sense. One, I am nobody but me. So obviously, as I say, apologies for, you know, my foul language. And as you know, I do have a habit of having a dirty mind from sometimes, but that doesn't affect my professionalism, obviously. Um, But people got to know me. And if they ask me if I can do something, I'm really honest and I'll say, no, I haven't got a clue, but I know somebody that does, or I give them the option of, I can learn how to do it, but I won't charge you. I'll learn it in my own time if you're wanting me to do that. And so they come along with like one job in mind that they want. And then they'll say, oh, can you do this? It's like, yeah. Oh, all right. Well, could you do this? Yeah, can. And because I do lots of different things, People seem to like it because VAs seem to have packages. So if you want someone to, you know, they'll have the website package or the email marketing package or the organizing package. I sort of describe myself as a jack of all trades, which is what people, especially freelancers, because you haven't got departments and you know, you're on your own. Sometimes freelancers get overwhelmed with what they have. So I just say, right, well, what do you need? So one woman came to me to start off with, with just, I want you to make me accountable. So I said, right, okay. If you want to pay me to tell you to get on with your work, that's fine. can do that. <laughs> so I started off doing that. And then she saw my socials and she said, do you think you could do mine? And it was like, yeah, I can, I can give you ideas. And it started off where I just gave ideas. You are the best person to come up with the content, but sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees. So when I was talking to my client and she was like, well, what do I write about? I said, well, you can use this. Yeah, but that's obvious. I said, it isn't to me. It is to you because that's your job and you've been doing it for nigh on 20 years, but not to me. And you're not looking for you as a client. You want the person that doesn't know how to do that and doesn't really want to do that because um, then they're going to hire you to do it. You're showing them that you know what you're doing. And she's like, oh, right. So I seem to be able to get on with my client by doing that. I just act like dumb and just say, okay, well, let's research this subject and, you know, I'll learn it. And so I do it at a basic level so that you're targeting the right people. So that's the social media side. And also creative freelancers are very, I always describe them as scatter thinkers. So they've got so many ideas. It's like a mind map. They come to me and go, right, what I'd like to do is... And I go, oh, right. Okay. Well, let's put that A 
B, C. Let's do it down a route so we know where we're going. And I help them sort of focus where they want to go. And because I'm bossy, they can say, oh, yeah, but I've had this. Yeah, well, we'll do that in a bit because you're going to finish <laughs> this first. We're going to get on with this. So, um, yeah, so people seem to quite like the fact that they weren't paying for this one job. They pay for my time. And um, when they first come along, they say, oh, well, how long will it take? It's like, I don't know. So we always have one month where you give me the job. I time myself on everything that I do. And if you think that I've done it in a good enough time, then fine, we keep going. If you think I'm too slow or I'm not doing a good job, we go our separate ways. But, you know, you've tried it because you don't know until you try, really. When you said about bossing people about, there's often a thing for freelancers where, you know, like a client might ask for something or they want something changed or whatever, and you don't necessarily agree. Mm. You know, perhaps you've seen this before. Perhaps you've creatively got a different idea. What do you find works for pushing back or for encouraging somebody in a different direction or being bossy, as you put it? I sort of see it as it's their business. It's their baby. What, you know? what have I got to say? So I tell them the truth and think, you know, I say, I don't really think that's going to work. I think it would be better this way. If they take my advice, brilliant. If they don't take my advice, that's their job. You know, it's not my, it's not my, it's not my business. So if they want to have that kind of content, even though I've told them that it's not the content that will work, there's no more that I can do. Why, why argue with them and it's their business? Yeah, yeah. Treat them with the respect. I mean, literally, I don't see myself as their employee but I see myself as their collaborator. So ultimately they have the final say. I'm not going to, like you say, if, I, if you hired me, I'm not going to come in there and start telling you, oh, you've got to do your podcast like this and blah, blah. And, you know, it's just it's just not my place. I can, all I can do is advise with what I know, give them the knowledge that what I think. I might even push it a second time and say, are you really sure? I really, really don't think that that's going to work. Uh, but ultimately they say, no, I want it this way. It's like, right, okay, I'll crack on. I mean, it's fantastic that you've found, I mean, you literally put, you didn't know a virtual assistant existed, but then not only that, you are seemingly listening to what people come to you with and then figuring out what your business is in order to help. I know it's really hard because everybody tells you to have a niche, but I don't have a niche. I work with um, an app developer, a graphic designer, a copywriter, a marketeer, an architect, another copywriter, yeah, another graphic designer. So, and it's all that they've just started talking to me and said, oh, I know I struggle with this. Like, yeah, I can do that for you. And then they see what benefit they get from it. And then they ask me, well, what else do you think? And it's like, well, are you good at this? Well, no, I hate doing that, right? Well, pass that to me then. It's bespoke. It's bespoke to the person rather than the package. So you said that a lot of people were inspired by your marketing but you didn't even know you could do marketing, what it was. Yeah. So so what is it that you did slash do on social media that is working for you? Well, I could only say what people have told me, but I sort of have, because I'm brightly coloured and I can be quite energetic and optimistic uh, and things like that. But I mean, it sounds so cliche now. I never tried to be anybody else. So I told people I'm 47, I'm disabled. I needed a job. I created one. That's me. And I've learned everything along the way and it has worked. If you, you know, I don't have a degree in marketing. I, I don't have any of that, but I do work hard and I do learn things. So when people ask me questions, I, w- I was up front and I was able to, to say things to them, I think. Yeah. I just think this is the bit that I don't get. It's like, well, I've never pretended to be anybody else. And that's what seems to have worked. So what sort of stuff would you put out on? What social media are we talking about? Initially, I started on Instagram was where um, it first started. So Reels came out around the same time. And and I loved Reels. I would not perform on a stage in front of people. And I get anxiety when I go into a crowd. But for some reason, I could get up and do funny takes on Reels. You know, I did follow the crowd and did the Celine Dion with the leaf blower thing. <laughs> got Richard standing behind the camera doing the leaf blower as I was wearing this blue dress. That kind of thing. I haven't done reels for like a good year now, though. I sort of lost my confidence with it. It comes, you know, when you've got chronic pain and you're getting old, 
you sort of, yeah, so I lost a bit of confidence. And it real sort of started to get a bit boring because so many people, but I was, I started doing it right at the beginning. Mm. Uh, and I really enjoyed that. And I was really, it was like, well, look at me. I'm, I'm, you know, 45 and overweight and old, but I'm getting in front of a camera, so can you. So it doesn't sound like that's, a, you know, like one of those reels where it's like teaching somebody how to do it. Or, you <laughs> no, know, like that, what? That, that reel was, yeah, what I did was I split it into two and it was 12 months ago, I was timid and I had really shit reels. I didn't know what I was doing to 12 months later, I feel empowered and I suddenly turned into a diva. And then all of a sudden the leaf blower goes on, my hair goes back <laughs> and I've got the dress uh, and I'm lip syncing to um, Celia Dion. So I was making reels about telling people what I was learning at the time. So that got a bit of a following. Now it's sort of shifted. And that's why I came up with the social media assistant. So I had a few people asking me when I first did that. I started off with my name as Busy B, virtual assistant. And then when more and more clients were saying, I would like you to do our social media, come up with the ideas, because I seem to be an ideas person. Um, I thought, right, okay, well, I'm going to be a social media assistant, not a social media manager. Because social media managers have to look at your analytics and have to give you feedback and you've got to work on it like that. I didn't want to do that. That's a different job to being a virtual assistant. So that would be like two jobs and I would be shattered. So I thought doing social media assistant, I can come up with the ideas. I can try, uh, write captions, but ask for your input so that it sounds like you. So we work as a collaboration. Copywriters, you know, they're magic. I haven't got a clue how they can do it but we work together and then um, I come up with ideas of either what you're going to film or your graphics and then I schedule it all for you. But because I'm doing the accountability bit, where people were um, just willy-nilly doing it, I encourage them to plan a month. So all my clients will have a month's worth of content all scheduled. And then if they want to add to it and do their own on a whim thing, then that's fine, but they've got that, that consistency. And so I do that side as well so they were the kind of they liked the fact that I was happy I suppose brightly coloured I use bright colours yellows reds and greens and you know and I wear dungarees that are brightly coloured you know I'm getting old I used to have bright red hair Uh, and for my 40th I dressed up as Jessica Rabbit you know (laughs) it's got to be done I'm I mean I'm saying old like a bad thing I mean I'm 40 I'm 47 in age I feel 60 in my body (laughs) because of my pain but I'm 16 in my head Mm. so I'm still that 16 year old girl that wants to have fun and so that's what I try to do even if I am doing it from home on a zoom channel or in a reel so in terms of business pricing did you know what you were doing nope not at all I started off with looking at what other VAs were earning thinking oh well they've been around a while and I haven't so I can't charge that so I'll really undercharge myself and was working for peanuts and then I thought, oh, well, this is not sustainable. I'm shattered. So I'm going to start upping my prices, That you know, and then the people that don't want to pay them will, will go. Nobody left. So then I upped them again. Nobody left. <laughs> so I upped them again uh, and nobody left. And then I got to a stage where the inquiry started to slow down. So I thought, right, this is my level. Uh, so I just worked it. Sl- I mean, obviously I didn't do it Monday and then, oh, I'll put it on Tuesday. Uh, I did it staggered. You talked about having so much work by the sounds of it, but not paying you enough. Mm. So where you're at today, a few years down the line though, do you have to turn work away? Obviously you're a very organised person, but how do you manage the the potential to do so much when time is limited, I guess? So I have a a spreadsheet that has the calculation in it. I put in how many days a week I want to work and how many hours a day I want to work. And they're the hours that I'm available And then I put all of my clients in and how many hours they book me for. So they don't just come along and say, can you do this? It's okay. How many hours a month do you want to pay for? So then they choose and I let them lower them or quite often they extend them until that capacity is gone. And then I know I can't possibly fit it in at all. But I have a habit of not saying no enough. So literally today, I've just said no to two people that have messaged me on LinkedIn saying I'm not available. Come back in six months and I might have availability. But the thing is, if you're really good at your job, they don't go. (laughs) 
you don't obviously you don't want your clients to leave. I mean, I've had a couple that have left this year purely because of the economic crisis that they've given up their own freelancing business and they've gone to full time work because they've had to. Right. So I lose them for that sake. But yeah, a lot of people ask because I have this habit of not being able to say no. I direct them now that they fill an online form in. I can tell how they answer the questions. I don't want people to think that I'm obviously, what do you call it? I don't know. But you can see a red flag in the way that they're writing. So they, if they say to me that the maximum they want is two hours, but then give me a paragraph of how much work they want to do, I can see that they don't realise what's involved and therefore will expect more than what I can give. And then they can be quite hard. So then I'm able to say, not at this time, come back. But then if something comes in that's, oh, that's a really interesting job. Oh, I'd really like to work for them. I might try to sneak them in and see if I can fit in hours for them. But now, today, I just can't do anymore. I've been saying yes too many times. So that's it. My books are shut for now until June. Interesting. Have you been tempted to bring on other people to help you at all? I I can cope with a certain level of stress and I don't want to stress myself out by having an agency. So I do outsource to one person when I'm getting a bit overloaded and I know other VAs. So the associate model is that they sign up you take the job in, you give it to these VAs and you pay them less than what you're pulling in. So you're taking the cream off the top of the milk while they're doing the work, which is a fine model to have if that's what you want to do. And it's what I do with my one outsourcing. Just a, a bit of uh, truth. The, the person I outsource to is my son, so I'm allowed to take the milk off his... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not fleecing anybody, you know. But I don't want to do that as an agency with lots of different people. So if I can't do the work, I'd rather just say I can't do the work, but I know such and such. Here's a number. Go give her the work because then she's earning the full amount of the what her fee is rather than getting it through an agency. I'd, you know, I'm not precious if I can't do it. I'd rather build somebody else up so that they can do it. So I've got a nice little list of VAs that I know and what their specialties are. So that I'm able to say, go try her. Yeah. Has your health sort of stabilised? It goes up and down. So like the beginning of last year, I was lying flat on my back. Um, everybody first got to meet me at some co-workings flat on my back because I have a desk that tilts. So when the pain is really, really bad, the best thing for me to do is to lie on my back with a heat mat underneath my back. And so then I position the desk and the dog lies next to me and I tilt it so that the computer's above my head and I work like that so I can concentrate I just can't physically do stuff and I take my painkillers but they literally just take the pain away they haven't messed with my mental capacity at all it just calms it down so that I can concentrate so I do that and I've found that I'm a little bit late to the whole in-person networking because when being disabled and then like I say, COVID happened a week after I got out of hospital. So everybody else hated being locked in. For me, it was, well, this has been my life for the last three years. When the pain's really bad, I've been locked in. And now you're all experiencing what I've experienced. So it's quite good. It's like you've all joined my party. You all get it. <laughs> I got more scared when COVID ended because all of a sudden I saw people going out again. So I'd lost my feeling in my foot and the ability of doing stuff covid didn't give me a chance to get used to it or compare myself in a you know just to look at things and then obviously when covid finished everybody else was going back on hikes with their dogs where i can't walk that far because it hurts my lower back i should push myself more which i am doing but i have to limit certain things because i end up that i have nerve pain because it's been aggravated when i've walked and and things like that so i sort of felt left behind and that affected me mental health wise because it was like I before and after this event there was the Aaron before that dressed as Jessica Rabbit and you know did drink and then there's the Aaron after that doesn't feel the same so when it came to going out it was like well I have to wear a leg brace 
and I'm a bit embarrassed about that. Or I can't stand up and talk to a lot of people all the time because my back's hurting, so I need to go sit down. So these all created anxiety for me. So um, I found that locking myself away and having a virtual business was actually, it became a bit of a cocoon for me. It helped me stay safe. But I am getting out and about now. Like, you know, I went to London and what people, some people recognised happened and some people didn't, which, and everybody in the free, uh, the freelance magazine and the being freelance have been fantastic. So obviously I went down on the train. That was anxiety. Uh, but I had everybody from the co-working on my computer making me laugh, which helped me get down. When I got there, things went wrong and I had a, a meltdown. I wasn't feeling good, but Amy, who was coming to the party, messaged me at the time that I was having this panic attack and said, oh, you know, I'm not far from your hotel at the moment. I said, well, please come here. And so she came and gave me a hug and we came to the party together. And then when I got there, there was Angela there. So I knew to go straight for Angela, who I knew really well. And she gave me a hug that I'd met. Um, she got me to come to being freelance. I'd met her in another group and she said, come to being freelance. You'll fit in fine. Thanks, Anne. <laughs> um, and I made my way to her. And then it was when the guy was doing the trick shot stuff, it suddenly, it was like the adrenaline that I'd felt all up until that point. And I was proud of myself that I'd come because I didn't think I would come to this kind of gathering. And I just started to cry. I just had tears running down my face. So I sat down on the sofa and put my head down so that people couldn't see that I was crying. But Amy was sat next to me. Ange turned around and saw me. Um, Jessica... She saw and she came over and asked if I was okay and everything. And then it passed. And then I had an absolutely brilliant time. And I was really proud that I'd done it. And I was getting texts off my husband going, I can't believe you've you've done it. Well done, all that lot. And then and then later in the night, I sang a bloody karaoke. I didn't know that I was ever going to do that. That was Mel who got me to do that. It was something I've always wanted to do and never had the courage to do. And she just threw a microphone in my mouth and... I sang, my husband still says, I can't even believe you did that. <laughs> um, and it was just, it was just so good. And it really, really helped me. So it showed me that I can. So I am starting to build up the confidence to get out and about again. So I just have to take it easy. If I do too much, I just end up pulling it back a little bit. I mean, God, I love the fact that you found the online communities and then now stepping out of it mm. as well. I have to because you all live in London. <laughs> <laughs> Back with Evan in a moment. Did you know there's a course that I've made? Of course there's a course. Everyone's got a course, Steve. Yes, I know. But this is the How to Get Started Being Freelance course, which isn't just my experience of being freelance, but that of all the hundreds of freelancers that I've spoken to for the podcast as well. We draw on their experiences, their quotes, everything from getting started as a business treating it like a business at all for that matter sending invoices finding clients dealing with them and crucially not burning out while doing it we look at work-life balance as well please if you know someone who is new to freelance life send them in the direction of the course you'll be doing them a big favor and it comes with six months free membership of the community as well so that they can get started being freelance surrounded by others who are doing it so go to beingfreelance.com click on course and all the details are there I thank you they will thank you all right let's get back to Erin's story okay you do a podcast as well right yeah but I just that's just uh that's just something for fun that worked out when I was on Instagram I was trying to use all the tools and it was independent women's day so I decided to do a live with um some business women and again, when you're not in this world, you do not realise how many jobs actually exist and titles and things like that. And I was amazed about all these people. So I started doing it every week, this Instagram Live, with a different woman with a different career. And then after a year of doing that, I was a bit tired. So I thought, I'm going to give that a stop. And then I was listening to another podcast because um, I was never into podcasts, but now I, I love them all. And they'd said about how repurposing content and stuff. So this is where my um, my associate, Luke, my son, who did music tech at school, he's 24 now. And I said to him, right, do us a favor, go on my Instagram, rip off all my lives 
turn them into podcasts and let me see what you can do. And so that's what he did. And I said, right, well, we'll choose those ones. That's series one. And there's so many more careers I haven't come across yet or people that I've met that I really want to get to know about, be nosy about. So I started Women in Business and it's sort of to promote them rather than it's not like my job. I, obviously, my job's the virtual assistant bit, but sort of gives me a bit of grounding for an hour where I talk to somebody. And then I send it off to Luke and say, all right, go do something with that then for me, please. Thank you. <laughs> so how long have you been doing that? Uh, I'm on, I'm recording now series four. So, and there's only six episodes per series. So I only started last year. So yeah, so that's a fun thing for me, really. And it, also it helps you make content, doesn't it? So you don't have to make content on a Wednesday. <laughs> on a Wednesday? <laughs> yeah, women on a Wednesday, you see. Wow. Oh, gotcha. That's what it was originally called. Uh, no, just, you know, I've just made that up. As oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> See, full of ideas. But yeah, it goes out every Wednesday, so it gives me a break on a Wednesday. All I've got to do is put a clip of the podcast out and that's my content. <laughs> what, what does that podcast bring you? Um, it brings me conversation. It brings me connection with people. Because other than that, it's just me. And if I'm lucky, my husband's around and I might talk to him and the dog. You know, I wouldn't talk to anybody other than my clients otherwise. That's why I do the online co-working. People think that's such a, you know, what, why the hell? I mean, Richard, the hubby, has learned I won't go nowhere on a Friday morning now because Friday, I save some work for Friday co-working and being freelance because I laugh so much in the little bits in between. It really cheers, my, cheers me up. And I've got another group that I go to called Inclusion where they're business people that have all got chronic conditions. So that's sort of like understanding. So I can complain in that group. <laughs> and they, they and you know, and I so I found groups, I suppose like niche, found groups that fit with what I need to help me in this world. Because otherwise, it's a really lonely place being a freelancer. So you know, you have to make connections and talk to people, and not just for business. But you're not not looking for work, just to listen to other people that you're not on your own. I learned that when I became a mother. You think that you're on your own and then you go to a mums and tots group and you go, I've had a really, really bad night and this is what's really bugged me. And you'll find seven other mothers go, oh my God, yes, I feel the same thing. And it's the same with freelancers. You can think, it must be me. It must be me that this is going wrong for. I'm just really bad at this job. And then you go into your membership and you say, has anybody else experienced that? And all of a sudden you've got 30 comments underneath going, you know, it's, it's, and it's good. It's grounding. It's like, oh, right. Thank God for that. It's not just me. How do you find the work-life balance? Really hard. Really hard. I'm terrible. Uh, I have a problem that I like to have things finished. So I have to keep reminding myself that it, the way my model works is at the beginning of the month, you have a jar full of pebbles, which are your hours. And as every time I do work for you, I take them out until eventually your jar is empty. And at the beginning of the month, I fill it back up again. So I panic that I am not going to spend all your hours for you. And then that means that you're getting shortchanged. So I work my butt off late into the evening and weekends. And then by week three, I haven't got anything to do because I've done it all. So I'm learning to sort of say to myself, it is only week one. It's only week one. You've got another three weeks to spend these hours, spread it out. But it meant that I was having a cycle of burning out by mid-month and then panicking I haven't got enough work because I didn't have enough to do, taking more on and then realising, oh, actually, back at the beginning of the month now, I've got even more work to do. And So um, that was stressing me out and affecting my mental health as well. So I'm I'm learning to stagger it much, much better. That's a really interesting effect, I guess, of a retainer. I, I'm guessing the, these are retainers, yep. right? So you're like, I'm gonna, you're, you want me to do these hours for you each month, mm -hmm. which sounds amazing. Except that you almost, yeah, yeah you feel like they've always got things for me to do, and I don't let the hours go over because then it would get confusing with my my tracking my finances if somebody had got hours left over and things like that. So you have these hours, you use them up. And what I sh everyone keeps telling me is, well, then that's up to them. Mm. But if they're not using the hours, then I start panicking because I don't want them to be shortchanged. So then I start messaging going, you've still got these amount of hours. Is there anything you want me to do? I can do this for you. I can do that for you. Let's do this. Let's use up your hours. 
I don't like being paid for doing nothing. I think it's it's just not ethical. So if it means I have to find or teach you how to delegate so that you give me some stuff, then I will try my hardest to spend the hours so that you're not being shortchanged. And I have a retainer, so they get a little bit of a, a loyalty discount for a retainer where they just promise to work with me for six months at least. And then it's like a rolling contract. My retainers get priority. So people that aren't on retainers, they if they send me work, yes, I can do it. But if then a retainer client comes in and says, I need this doing, I will still get this work done, but they'll get their work done first. So that shows that there's, a, there's a, got to be an incentive for them to promise to work with me. So then I've got like a pipeline so I know how much I'm earning for the next six months. Nice. I'm just grateful that I am always working. So <laughs> even on holiday, I never go away. Do you t- actually take work on holiday with you? Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't just showing off to you lot in co-working that I was in Gran Canaria. Richard works from, for himself as well. So what we did is he had a deadline and I had some work. So because this is the life that we want. We want to go away and live for three months in the sun. And we both have got jobs that can do it. So when we go on holiday, we practice. And we like the the slow going slow. So we'd get up, we have breakfast, we work for a couple of hours. And then we shut the computers and then we went to the beach. You know, that was the day. And then in the evening, you know, we were abroad and there was foreign telly, couldn't watch any TV. So we worked for a bit. So I was able to keep on top of quite a lot of stuff. And it just shows us that it's really what we want to do. It just reinforced how brilliant it was to take the afternoon off and go and sit in the beach and swim in the sea and then go back and do some work. Nice. So you think that the two of you will have that sort of almost digital nomad? Yeah, that's how it... See, I always feel bad because that was our plan. We had kids young, well, youngish. I mean, I'm like I said, I'm 47 and I've got a 24-year-old and a 20-year-old that turns 21 this year. And they are both self-sufficient and have jobs and do their own thing. This was the time that Richard and I were going to go traveling. But then I got ill. And so it's grounded me. I can't, there's certain things I can't do. I can't go hiking the Great Wall of China and and things like that, which is, again, it's another, it's a dream that's just not going to happen. So we adapted it and thought, you know what, we nearly paid off our mortgage. I've got no pension or anything like that. But we just said, well, what would we do for retirement? And we both want to be warm and we don't like winter and English winter is just rubbish so we started with that idea that's why we go away every January and we've been going to different Spanish islands to see which ones we like the most every year so that ultimately when I know that my youngest son is settled and in his own house because he still lives at home because I'm not leaving him here to check look after mine <laughs> we'll shut the house down for three months and we'll go um, and rent a... I mean, Richard even came up with the idea while we were away, why do we have to stick to one island? We could have January in Gran Canaria and then Airbnb and jump over to Tenerife for a month and then go to Fuerteventura for a month. So, yeah, that's our dream. That's that's what I'm working... You know, when people go on about goals, that's what I'm working for, to have the life that Richard and I can rent a flat. Kids can come over for a weekend in the sun if they want to while we're away. But then we're back in England because we used to live in America. So we came back to England because I missed so much things about England, but it's spring, summer and autumn that I like. So we would come back in time for the daffodils, then have a nice summer, uh, see friends and everything. And then as winter comes back over to the sunny, sunny land. I like that. It's like a migratory bird, but with a laptop. Absolutely. I'd like to think that I was, I'm a nice... Small, thin bird. (laughs) But I've sort of got an albatross in my mind. (laughs) That's all right. They keep going forever. They're great. Now, uh, Erin, I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself to make two true, one a lie, and let me figure out the lie. What do you have for me? So, number one, I have been to university twice. Number two, I have worked in seven of the 14 key industries that make up our economy. And number three, I have flashed the Houses of Parliament. (laughs) (laughs) You've worked in the seven key industries that make up... Our economy. Our economy. What what, what are those then? I've worked in medicine and healthcare because I trained as a nurse and worked as... Um, social care, healthcare person in an Alzheimer's old people's unit while I was at uni. 
Right. Um, I trained in education. That's number two. I used to be a supervisor in the co-op that I did when my kids were little. That's retail. <laughs> Business, what I do now. IT, what I do now. Entertainment and media, which covers content creation, what <laughs> I do now. And hospitality, I worked in the kitchen of a pub while I was at college. <laughs> okay, I'm believing this one. Especially because it didn't include something like, I don't know, I worked on a trawler for uh, three months. <laughs> Do you know what's funny is that nothing about dog doggy daycare came under any of the of the list. You've been to university twice. Mm-hmm. Nursing and physics and astronomy. Physics and astronomy? When, when did you do that? Uh, when I was 18. So I did physics, chemistry and maths at level. Right. And then I went on to University of Central Lancashire uh, to start a degree in physics and astronomy. But you didn't finish it? Nope. After a year, I decided this is not for me. So I used the fact that I was in university to jump to Salford University to do uh, paediatric nursing. Okay. The final one, you flashed the Houses of Parliament. Yep. My boobs have been shown. <laughs> So where our Prime Minister and Ministers sit, just standing outside on a bus, like, um, like what was the scenario? I was just, you know the green where they interview people? Yes, just, there's a big bit of grass outside. Yeah, I just decided, luckily there was nobody filming at the time, that I hate our government, <laughs> so I was going to flash them. When was that? When I was younger, my God, <laughs> wouldn't do it now. <laughs> Those times have passed. All I've got to do is lift up my head and my jumper. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uni, that sounded true. But then, I mean, I don't know. Would you flash that? I mean, yes, you would, actually. You would, wouldn't you? Rude. Rude. <laughs> Maybe you didn't. Maybe you just think that's what I think you would do. Yeah, maybe that's it. You've never flashed the, the Houses of Parliament. Is that your final answer? That's the lie, yeah. You're correct. Yes! It wasn't the Houses of Parliament. I did actually flash from the London Eye. <laughs> <laughs> what? I was on the London Eye and I was dared to flash Big Ben or London as a whole. <laughs> Okay, Erin, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? I did write this down. I first wrote, do it sooner, because I haven't regretted becoming freelance. It really, it helped me in a sort of a recovery. But then I thought, no, my advice would be find the thing that drives you. Because I've noticed that I didn't have a drive when I was 13, 14, 18. I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I just went with the flow and I went and did an astronomy, started an astronomy degree. And then I went and did the nursing. And then I ended up working in education. And before, while I was training in education, I worked in a co-op. You know, I was, yes, I've gained experience and I don't regret any of the choices, but I didn't have a drive until I started this. And it was something that was important. And so it drives me to come to work. It drives me to keep going. It drives me to do the best that I can do. So I would say for freelancing, don't just come into it because you think it's an easy option. You've got to have a certain level of drive to keep going. Mm. I wonder what that is, though. I wonder whether it's something you can find or whether you just have to sort of pay attention. I used to think that, it was just something that somebody had. So like my husband's been driven in his, he's always, he's very driven at things that he does, but I never was. So I just thought, oh, well, that's the way he is. And this is the way I am. And then all of a sudden I had, the, you know, I had a trauma that made me think, well, this is not what I want to do with my life. I've got to think of what I'm good at, how I can make what I'm good at work for me. And I have to be proactive. I have to drive. It's not going to just come to me because I'm sitting here and um, I love the story about Jim Carrey and his 10 million pound check. Have you heard that one? No. So when he was a jobbing actor and he, he was fed up, he wrote himself a check for 10 million pounds and put a date on it and said, I am going to cash this check on this date because that's what I'll be earning. 
And the day before that check date ran out, he got paid for mask and he got paid that amount of money. But then he says it, you know, everyone's like, oh, wow. And you only ever see that part of the interview. But then he follows it with, but I'm not saying I wrote the check and sat on my bum and waited for it to come. I wrote that check as my goal, but then I was driven to get to where I was going and I worked hard to get there. So it's, you've got to have the thing that you want. So for me, I wanted a sense of purpose because when I became disabled, I felt useless. I felt like, well, what's my point of being here? My kids don't need me. My husband's doing everything because he's my carer. I need to help people. I need to do something so that I feel worthy for myself. That became my drive to keep going. So I don't think 13-year-olds are going to know what the thing is that's going to drive them. But I think when you're getting into the freelancing world, think about why you're doing it. What's the drive for you to do this? And then work your butt off to get there. Erin, it's been so good to talk to you. Go to beingfreelance.com. There'll be a link through so that you can find Erin's website. You can find her online. You can reach out to her. You can say hi. Just talk to me, please. Just talk to me. You can come and join the Being Freelance community and see Erin in there at co-working quite clearly uh, on a Friday and in the chat in between as well. But Erin, I'm just so pleased. Well, I'm not pleased that you ended up disabled. Going f- <laughs> well, go yeah, but going through what you went through. But the attitude that you then took from it and the fact that you found this thing that works for you, because if you weren't freelance... No job's going to let me lie. Well, let's not go there. I was <laughs> No job's going to let me lie flat on my back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I certainly wouldn't okay. earn enough. But, you know, if I was in the co-op, nobody... You know, I can't lie on my back when my back's really bad on the till. Can I? It's not, it's not a thing that you're going to be able to see. And that's what, and I can't do heavy lifting jobs and I can't be on my feet all the time. And I can't, you know, so I am never going to be able to have a normal job. Well, I hate the word normal. Normal is a society, a social construct bound to people. Um, but I was never going to get that. But at the same time, I'm not a housewife. I couldn't just sit there. What, what else would I have to do with my life? And that's the big thing I want to, let other people know it doesn't matter what your age is it doesn't matter what your ability is you can find something in you that you can use to push yourself forward so for me i found that i really like organizing and bossing people about (laughs) erin it's been so good to talk to you thank you so much and all the best being freelance (laughs) thank you Yeah, so there goes Erin. Don't forget to check out her podcast as well. And if you want to hang out with me and Erin, we're in the Being Freelance community. You know where to find us. Uh, Go to beingfreelance.com, click on community. New episodes coming every other week at the moment. So it won't be long before we're back here with another cracking story. In the meantime, you have a great week. Being Freelance. Being Freelance group has been absolutely so supportive, been brilliant. So thank you guys if this spit stays in the podcast. Well, it probably won't, but... (laughs)